Hi, everybody. Please keep uh, Nehemiah 8 open. Let's pray and look at this great chapter. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for inspiring all Scripture for our benefit and to point us to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now that you would give us understanding, that you would give us conviction of its truth, and that you would give us strength to live in light of your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, do you prefer fast-paced, exciting work, or long, slow, continual work? Do you love the excitement of fast-paced work, or does it just kind of stress you out a little bit too much? Or are you the kind of person who is really bored by the long, slow work? Or is that your niche, and you kind of just like cruising along with the slow, continual work? Well, as we saw last week, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15, we saw the wall around Jerusalem was finished in just 52 days. It was fast-paced, exciting work. It was God who was at work in and through his people to get the job done and quickly. And Nehemiah, well, it looks like he's achieved his mission now. That's why he came from Susa to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. So can he give up the fast-paced, exciting work and just take things a bit slower now? Well, if we know anything about Nehemiah, we know that he won't do that. His work is not yet finished. So if we have a look over chapter 7, we're not going to read it, but if you look over it, you'll see he begins his next step really quickly. Nehemiah, he wants to repopulate the city of Jerusalem now that the walls are finished. But we're actually going to read more about that in chapter 11 in a few weeks' time. So we have chapter 8 before us, which we just read out. Nehemiah's work continues, but Nehemiah himself actually fades into the background a little bit. And we meet Ezra, the scribe, who we met a few weeks ago in the book of Ezra. He's back on the scene, and he joins forces with Nehemiah to continue the work of building God's people, of building God's city. So what's the work to be done? Well, in chapter 8, we see God's law, his word is reestablished in the life of Judah. And again, it's fast-paced work. So let's get into the story together. Let's read it from Nehemiah 8, uh, from the start. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, they'd, they'd gone home after building the wall, they come back, all the people gathered together in Jerusalem at the square in front of the water gate. What for? They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Thirteen years earlier, Ezra had come, arrived in Jerusalem with the book of God's law in his hands. He had the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And he got to work straight away, teaching it and reforming the nation in line with it. But it was slow work. It happened over time. But now it seems for the first time, perhaps in hundreds of years, God's law is read aloud to the whole nation publicly. God's word is put back in the front and center of the nation of Judah. They're zealous for God's law. And so they put on this huge, massive event, this gathering. And they, actually the people, they ask Ezra, come, read us the law. We want to know what God says. So verse 2, 
On the first day of the seventh month, only a week after they finished building the walls, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. You see their zeal. This crowd is huge. Tens of thousands of people. All the men, women, the older kids, the teens who could understand God's law. This huge gathering has been arranged for that sole purpose. To hear God's law. To reestablish it in the nation, in their life. It kind of reminds me of some of the Christian conferences that so many of us have been a part of over the years. People gather in their thousands for what purpose? To hear God's word and to be encouraged. But in case you ever whinged about stuff going for too long at a conference or here at church, have a look at verse 3. While Ezra was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out God's law from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Don't complain ever again, eh? Do you see their zeal? They devoted hours, up to five or six hours of reading God's word with focused attention, zealous to know what it said. This is, this is a stake in the ground moment for the nation of Judah. We're going to read God's law. We're going to read all of it. We're going to see what it has to say with us, for, to us. We're going to devote ourselves to it. This is the kind of devotion that you see when someone first becomes a Christian. Have you seen that? I've seen it in the last year. Someone becomes a Christian and they are gripped by the gospel of grace. They are so thankful to God that they want to know Him more. And so they spend hours of each day reading God's Word. On the way to work, on the train, during their lunch break, when they get home and into the night. They come to church, they come to gospel teams hungry to know what God says in His Word. They devour books about God's Word. They listen to sermons online. They can't get enough. Shouldn't we take encouragement from them and from the people of Judah to be zealous for God's Word, devoted to hearing it, hearing it taught, hearing it read, understanding it ourselves? Well, as the story continues, we see Judah continues to do this even more. So look at verse 4. Ezra, he was standing up on a high wooden platform. Why? Well, so that God's law could be easily heard. They wanted to hear God's word. They wanted everyone to be able to hear and see Ezra, read it out. And so they built this stage. That's why we have this stage up here. Do you know? Uh, this stage is not meant to make the people on it more important. It's not meant to make the preacher more important. It's, meant, it's simply meant to make God's word easier to hear, easier to understand, easier to communicate. And so as Ezra stands on his stage, the massive crowd before and with the massive crowd before him, what happens? Verse 5, look there. He opens up the book of God's law, and all the people stand up. We could practice, we could try that now if we want. No, 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 we won't. But all the people stand in honor of God's word. That's not something we tend to do here now, but perhaps the, the equivalent for us when we come to read God's Word, is to have God's, to have God's Word open in front of us, ready, so that we're eager to see what it says, eager to read it for ourselves. 
We can honour God's word by our attitude and our actions when we read it each week. Well, they continue to honour God. Verse 6, before he reads Ezra, what does he do? He praised the Lord, the great God. With their hands lifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They praise God for his word. They humble, him, they humble themselves before it. We should too, shouldn't we? We should pray earnestly before and after we read God's word. We should give a loud and hearty amen. Do you see their zeal for God's law? It's remarkable. Do you find it challenging? Well, as the story continues, so does their zeal. And the story now zooms in uh, to what happens amongst the people in the crowd and how the people understand and respond to God's law. So let's get into the second part of the passage. Uh, look at verse 7 with me. In verse 7, we see Ezra, he has a band of fellow preachers. I'm not going to read their names out again. Sarah did a wonderful job before. And these band of preachers, they're speaking too. Look at verse 8. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Have you ever tried to read the King James Version of the Bible? Hands up if you've ever tried to do that. Oh, that's, that's more than this morning. That's impressive. You young folk are doing well. Well, by now, the nation of Judah, God's law is like the King James Version to them because it's, it's old. The King James Version, it's hard to read today because it's out of date for us and our modern English. For Judah, it had been over a thousand years since God's law, God's law was first given to Moses, to Israel. And many of the Jews, now they spoke Aramaic, and so the old Hebrew was hard to understand. And so these men, these preachers, as God's law was read, written in this old Hebrew, they would translate it. They would help people to understand it. They would preach it so people could understand. Do you see the effort that they went to? This massive gathering, this massive effort. Do you see their zeal for everyone to understand God's law? This is one of the things that happened during the time of the Reformation of the 16th century. The Catholic Church had kept the tradition of everything in church being read and done in Latin, a dead language. And so not even the ministers understood it all. And so the reformers, they courageously fought, and some even died, so that the Bible could be translated into English. And so the church would be in English. And in all the countries of Europe, all the languages of Europe would be, church would be in those languages. Why? Because God's desire, God desires that his word be understood. And so faithful believers and faithful churches throughout the ages have worked hard to translate the Bible. They've worked hard to speak and preach so that people can hear God's word for themselves and trust in him for themselves. So Ezra and his band of preachers, they faithfully deliver God's law to all the people. They make every effort. And then something remarkable happens. How do the people respond to what they hear? Look at the end of verse 9. For all the people were weeping. As they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? I think it's because they actually understood the law. 
maybe for the first time. Because when you hear God's law and you understand God's law, you realize that you're a sinner. It rebukes you. It points out your sin. It's one of the ways that God's law works. God's law says here is the standard that God demands from his people. And here are the punishments, the just punishments for not meeting that standard. And here are all the different sacrifices that you need to do in order to be in right relationship with this holy God. And so a right response, one right response to God's law is to realize that you are destitute, that you don't hit the mark. It's to mourn and weep for your sin and the sin of the world and the sin of the people around you. It's to fear God and fear that he is your judge. And so as all the people hear God's law and that they don't match up, they are cut to the heart. They actually respond to God's law because they actually understand it and they respond rightly. But there's a problem with this. Did you notice it as we were reading? Look at verse 9. Nehemiah and Ezra, they're trying to encourage the people out of being sad. They're saying, cheer up, guys. Why? Because, look at verse 9, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. This day is holy for them. It's set apart for God. It's a special day in the calendar of Israel. In Leviticus 23, the first day of the seventh month is to be a day of joyful gathering, of celebration. So yes, mourning and weeping before God's law, that is a right response. But this day was meant to be a day of joy, of celebration, of joy in what God has done, in who he is. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, they encourage the crowd. They want to obey God's word. And so they say, verse 10, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to the, to the Lord our God. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. Go and have a feast in your home, they say. Celebrate who God is and what he has done. Celebrate. Have joy. The joy of the Lord is your stronghold, they say. Joy in God, who he is, what he has done, that will be your strength, your protection. It is for your good. It will help you to persevere. And so, verse 12, the people respond rightly again. Look there. They do just that. They have a great celebration. Why? Because they had understood the words that were explained to them. And so, this, the end of this first day of the seventh month, there is joy. There is joy because they have understood God's law for themselves. They have understood who he is, what he has done for them. God's law has been reestablished, renewed in the life of Israel. And as God's people today, I think we need to hear that same lesson, don't we? Both of Judah's responses to God's word. Because Jesus says, think about it, he says, blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. It's right for us to mourn as we see the ways we don't match up to God's standards in his word. But there's also joy to be found, isn't there? Because as we hear and understand God's word, we should have great joy because we know that God has not even spared his own son, but instead given him up for us. Well, that's the first day of the seventh month for the people of Judah.
It's a stake in the ground moment for them. God's law is reestablished and all the people gather to hear God's word and they respond right. But that's not the end of our passage because we get to hear what happens the next day. The word, God's word continues to do its work amongst the people of Judah. So let's get into the last part of the passage. Look at, with me at verse 13. It says, On the second day of the month, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra the scribe. Why? To study the words of the law, yet again. So, big group Bible study with Ezra continues, but this time it's not the whole nation. It's not tens of thousands of people. It's Israel's leadership, which is an encouragement in and of itself, isn't it? For anyone in Christian leadership or any father, because all of us should be devoted to God's word, yes, but how much more leaders of God's people who set an example in their life and who teach God's word? And how much more fathers who were to lead their families and raise their children to know and love the Lord. So the leaders, the fathers, gather together with this big group Bible study with Ezra, their gospel team leader. And uh, what do they find? What do they find in God's law? Look at verse 14. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month. God's law commands a number of festivals throughout the year for Israel, and this is the one of booths, or tabernacles. And it was at the end of the wheat and grape harvest, and it celebrated God's provision of all that he gave them. And it also reminded them of the Exodus. God saved them out of slavery in Egypt, and then they lived in booths, in tents, in huts, as they traveled to the promised land. And did you notice, God commanded the festival in the seventh month and so you can imagine in this bible study maybe some people are starting to nod off or maybe others are paying more attention and they're starting to go seventh month this is what god wants us to do in the seventh month it is the seventh month this is what god wants us to be doing now and so what do they do it's remarkable it's one of those again rare moments in israel's history where they do exactly what God's word says. Look at verse 15. So they proclaimed and spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem to all the people, saying, go out into the hill country and bring back all kinds of branches and make booths, tents, huts, just as it is written. And so for the next two weeks, all Judah faithfully prepare for this festival. They do just as it is written. Look at verse 16. You can picture the masses heading out into the open country. They're cutting down branches all over the place. They're dragging them back to Jerusalem. It's not very environmental, is it? But that's what they were called to do by God here. They're setting up camp. They're building huts in the streets of Jerusalem. Who here goes camping ever or who has ever gone camping in their life? You will know that setup day is hard work, right? Well, this was hard work. Every corner of Jerusalem is filled with huts and people living in them, people building them. They celebrate this festival with great joy because God has provided for them. God has saved them and they know God's law again. Look at verse 15, sorry, 17. The whole community, all the people that had returned from exile, 
made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, about a thousand years. And there was tremendous joy. So, verse 18, they continue to read God's law and understand it, and they celebrate this festival for eight days. And the point the Bible is making is that they do everything just as God's word says, just as it is written, or at the end of verse 18, according to the ordinance. They're careful to devote themselves to God's law, doing everything to a T. God's law is reestablished. After hundreds of years of ignoring God's word and then facing the exile, after being brought back to the promised land and now having the walls rebuilt, now they put God's word back at the center, the center of their nation, the center of their hearts and minds. This is truly a stake-in-the-ground moment for Judah, for God's people. And we'll see over the next few weeks how God's people continue to put God's law into practice. But for us now, it's worth bringing it together for us here today and seeing how this chapter points us forward to Jesus and how we respond as followers of him. Because as we've seen over the last few weeks, it's kind of clear, isn't it? We are not the nation of Judah. We don't live in the promised land. So what change does Christ bring for us? Well, in one sense, when Jesus came a few hundred years later, in one sense, he didn't change anything. In fact, you could say that Jesus was doing the same thing as Ezra and Nehemiah. Jesus also reestablished God's law for his people. As Jesus taught, what did he do? He constantly pointed back to God's law. He explained its true intention. He pointed out all the ways that God's law was misunderstood. He rebuked the Jewish leaders who would twist God's word. For their own gain. He rebuked the hypocrites who would teach God's law and then not do it themselves. He said, don't think I've come to destroy the law. Jesus came to re-establish the law. He showed it as good and righteous. He called people back to it. But he did more than that, didn't he? Because he said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so he did just that. He fulfilled its promises and prophecies. He was the one that it pointed to. He did God's law perfectly. There was no one that his zeal for God's law was unmatched. He lived just as it is written, according to the ordinance. There was no sin in him. And because he was sinless, he could die for our sin. He could be the once-for-all sacrifice that all the sacrifices of the law was pointing to so that the law could be fulfilled in us, us who believe. We are saved by grace because Jesus fulfilled the law for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And so our response to Nehemiah 8 is what? It's to re-establish God's law. But how? To re-establish Christ, the fulfillment of the law in our lives. But how? Hebrews 2 it actually gives us the answer. It's coming up on the screen. Uh, in the book of Hebrews addresses this very question. If the people of Judah, if the nation of Israel, they were right to pay attention to God's law, 
here in Nehemiah 8, then listen to what we should do as followers of Jesus. It says, We must, therefore, pay even more attention to what we have heard, the gospel, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels, the law, and it was legally binding and it set out all the transgressions and all the punishments, just punishments, if that law was upheld by God, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, the gospel of grace? How do we reestablish God's law in our lives? We pay attention to the greater message of God's salvation, the gospel of grace, the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is the one who has fulfilled the law, who has brought about a message not spoken through angels, but spoken and enacted through him, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so we pay attention to him, don't we? We focus our attention on his word, on his life, on what he did for us at the cross. And we see that in the words of our New Testament, don't we? Praise God for that wonderful gift. And so the question is, do you, do we need to reestablish God's law, Christ, and his word in our lives, in our hearts and minds? Surely the answer is yes. We need to again come to Jesus, the one who fulfills God's law. And we need to come to him in the scriptures so that we might know him and live for him and understand his grace. Maybe for you, that requires a fast-paced, exciting work. A stake-in-the-ground moment where you, again, or for the first time, you read the Gospels, the life of Jesus. You read the New Testament, what the apostles said about him. And that you read it over the next few days, quickly, so that you can get a handle, so that you can understand God's law fulfilled in Christ. Or, maybe for you it requires a long, slow work. That continual commitment to know Christ and persevere in knowing His Word. Daily reading it, wrestling with what it says. A slow but continual and devoted work. Either way, let's pray for God's help. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you again for your law in the Old Testament, which points out our sin and shows us how we don't meet your standards. But Father, we thank you that that pushes us to the cross of Christ. We praise you for what he did on the cross in fulfilling all the law in his life and dying to take a punishment we deserve for breaking your law. Father, we praise you and ask that you would help us to devote ourselves to knowing Christ, the fulfillment of your law, and knowing him in your word as we see him in the Gospels, as we hear about what his life and death and resurrection means in the rest of the New Testament. And Father, help us to be devoted to that continual work, to that even fast work for some of us, of reading your word and seeing Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.